hey, hey, everybody. Uh, let's make sure we're all good to go. Yep, looks like we're good. Hi, uh, live from Denver, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to my live stream critical Q&A for this week, uh, where I answer your questions, uh, this time based on what you put in the comments box for me here. And let me turn this mic up a little bit. Um, yes, so welcome those from the UK. <laughs> Glad that you could make it this time. Uh, yeah, it's a little earlier than our live shows on Friday nights. So I hope uh, I hope we have some more folks joining us here. And in fact, let's switch over to our comments page there so you can see the comments as they uh, come on up the line there. Um, that's an interesting question. Why don't I do an interview with Melissa? I kind of have, in a way... Melissa and I have done a couple of podcasts about mental health and um, about anxiety and depression and things like that, that were kind of Melissa interviews, actually. My goodness, Austria, Sunday night. Wow. Okay. Hey, Alex. Um, but uh, if there is something else you would like me to discuss with Melissa uh, in terms of an interview or something, then go ahead and let me know. Send me an email. Um, I'm sure Mel would be uh, happy to be um, to be interviewed. Oh, okay, good. All right. So um, that all being said, I am here to answer questions. I, I love this. I love the comments there about cake. <laughs> now, um, so go ahead and uh, put any questions or comments or anything you have for me in the comment section. I wanted to I wanted to pull up uh, something to get us started. Um, but I think I need to do it in my other browser. So let me go ahead and pull that up real fast. Because there were a couple of questions that people asked of me during the week that I thought I might use to kick this off that were kind of interesting. Um, and this was one of them. Um, so I'm going to use Rob Kupitz's uh, question that was just sent to me a couple of days ago to sort of kick off our show here. The question is, in regards to my recent video on my critical clips, if you guys don't know, I have a critical clips channel. And I need to promote this more often because I don't think everybody knows about it. I have a whole other YouTube channel. And um, I put clips Monday through Friday up on that channel of earlier Q&A videos that I've done where I just extract individual answers to individual questions and throw them up as five to 10 minute uh, videos. And also excerpts from podcasts and other videos that I've done. So you can check out the Critical Clips channel, which is linked uh, in all of my videos. Um, so I posted a video asking, is L. Ron Hubbard coming back? And this was a question that was asked to me years ago. And I posted that clip a few days ago. And so this is in regards to that video. Are Sea Org members or general public aware that Scientology built and maintains various houses, cleans and uh, clean and move in ready just in case LRH does return, and that they furnish the houses and put out clean clothes for him? Wouldn't they find something wrong with spending a bunch of money for something that isn't supposed to happen? Um, no. 
And uh, and let me tell you why, Rob, um, and everybody else. Let me see here. Let me get this out of the way. There we go. Okay. Um, there are two kinds of properties that that uh, Scientology owns in regards to L. Ron Hubbard. There are historic sites where Hubbard lived, actual houses or homes or properties that Hubbard uh, worked and lived in during the evolution or history of Scientology. For example, there is the Founding Church in Washington, D.C., which is a building that is a now kind of a museum. There is his house in South Africa where he lived, and uh, they've restored that and put it back into museum-style quality uh, representation of how it was, uh, all the furniture, all the little accoutrements, everything all around the place, um, just like when Hubbard was there. And um, those are meant to be like museum pieces. There's another place in Arizona, the, the Phoenix House, and um, and these are kept up and, and, and restored and, and, and maintained by Sea Org members who I guess live out there, live off the property. And um, and these were meant to be sort of historic landmark sites that Scientology would preserve in order to preserve this legacy and history of Scientology. So over the years, you know, 20, 30, 100 years from now, you could still go to where Hubbard was in South Africa or uh, in New Jersey, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, or in Phoenix, Arizona, and see these historic properties. Then, hey, Denmark. Um, then you would see, um, uh, okay, then you have something like, I think it's called Bonneville, or there are properties like there's this big, huge house that they built for him on the gold base, uh, in, um, San Jacinto and in, in near Hemet. And, um, oh, wow. Kiwiland. That is awesome. Um, sorry, just responding to some of the comments as I glance at them. Uh, okay, so the Bonneville or the, this, this big mansion or this sort of estate property that they built in the middle of the gold studio property seems to be a house where Hubbard could go if he were to come back. And all of the churches of Scientology also have an office that is uh, dedicated to L. Ron Hubbard. So if Hubbard uh, you know, were to walk back into any church of Scientology anywhere in the world, there'd be an office for him to work in. And these offices are supposed to be kept up with a whole list of a roster or laundry list of things that Hubbard would have preferred, like a pack of cool cigarettes and an e-meter and paper and pens and all in books of, of a certain kind and various things that are supposed to be in the LRH offices. So... Um, Anyway, I uh, all of these things are presented in two different lights um, to Scientologists. Scientologists are capable of thinking about these things. You know, some Scientologists think that maybe Hubbard's coming back, and I'm not saying that no one thinks that. But generally speaking, Scientologists don't don't are not anticipating or awaiting Hubbard's arrival back. No one's really doing that, right? There might be some hardcore extreme Scientologists, or maybe I've heard some of the guys who are stuck up in the hole or, you know, under Miscavige's reign of terror might have this idea that Hubbard's coming back. But generally speaking, none of us, I, I mean, I certainly never imagined in all the years that I was in Scientology that Hubbard was coming back this lifetime. That was not lore. That was not a common belief. That was not something we sat around talking about. 
Um, so you have all these properties, and the properties are meant to be this museum piece thing, this his, this history of Scientology. Um, but it is also meant to be a sign or show of respect, like the L. Ron Hubbard offices are meant to be a sign or show of respect to Hubbard and his memory. And it's a way of keeping his presence alive, and it's a way of keeping him kind of physically still there, even though he's not there. You know, if there was no office there, then it would be easier to forget L. Ron Hubbard. It would be easier to forget that there was a founder and that this guy was, you know, hardcore there. Not really, because, of course, everything you read and study in Scientology is dedicated to L. Ron Hubbard. But you know what I mean? Physically, there wouldn't be a presence there. And so the fact that there is a physical presence there gives more reality or credence or whatever to Hubbard and his legacy. So that's kind of what that's about. It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's a real crystal clear you know Scientologists believe he's coming back or Scientologists don't it 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 depends on who you talk to but for the most part they don't hmm okay um so that's what I use to kick off the show here let's see what other questions are coming in on the comments as we as we go along here uh everybody's still showing up and saying hi hey Missouri rural Missouri my goodness um wow okay cool um Oh, yeah. My Two Markle says, I just saw a post by Dr. Berg's son outing him as a Scientologist. Are you familiar with them? I had no idea. No, I was not at all familiar with Dr. Berg or his kid or that whole thing. And I think he posted on TikTok or Instagram or something, some video a few weeks ago. Tony talked about it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Gur Roar says, hey, Chris, don't forget to plug the book. Uh, yeah, I actually should. I should have brought a copy of it here. <clears throat> if you guys are interested in Scientology and you haven't read my book, you're really doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> so check out my book. It is uh, Scientology A to Zenu, an insider's guide to what Scientology is really all about. Nice long title and subtitle there. And you can get it on Amazon and you can get it as an audio book or as a hard copy book and or as an ebook. And uh, and it will definitely answer a lot, a lot, a lot of questions you might have about Scientology. So got to plug that, too. That's right. Thanks for that reminder. All right. Let's see. Robert Roberts asks, does the church mention Hubbard moved to avoid prosecution? Does it try to hide that fact or embrace it as a tale of persecution by the Sykes? Great question, Robert. And um, okay, you're going to find both. Again, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, there's layers in Scientology. There's classes, right? There are, there are, there is a caste system in Scientology, but there's also kind of like people who've been in Scientology for a long time and people who haven't, or people who are newer or, or maybe more shallow in the experience of Scientology. And so as people, um, like, okay, for example, I got into Scientology, really hardcore got in in the 80s. And there were people who were who had been around in the 60s and 70s who I, you know, interacted with, old school Scientologists. And they seemed to understand that Scientology was commonly, routinely attacked by governments and, and government intelligence agencies um, because of the secrets and power that Scientology had or had, un, had revealed. And... Um, and so they kind of had this, you know, sort of, um, 
how do I put this? Like kind of spy game kind of attitude about Scientology. Like, yeah, we've, excuse me, we've been around the block. We know how it is. We know what these governments are really up to and all the covert ops and brainwashing and nefarious things that they get up to. And they've come after Scientology and they want Hubbard's works because they know how powerful it is and what it can do. And um, and here we're opening the door to ideas like remote viewing and telekinesis and and telepathy and, you know, mind ESP and stuff like that. And this was this was something that some Scientologists would sit around talking about. They talked to me about it. I was this kind of new Scientologist, all wide-eyed and woo, wow, you know. And it sounded quite fantastic. So, um, so you will get some Scientologists who will see Hubbard leaving. They're, they'll look at that history, and they'll think that that was Hubbard, you know, not hiding out from the Sykes, but eluding the Sykes, eluding the government agencies, right? Like he was in exile, but it was, you know, from this position of, of, of being a hero and having to elude the evil, nefarious forces that were arrayed against him, you see. So that's one school of thought or one attitude or view that, that, that some people in Scientology have or have had in the past. Um, I think now a more modern look, I think now uh, over the last you know generations that have gotten involved since then, are more of um, they don't really know a whole lot about it. They don't pay a lot of attention to it. Or the lore is more along the lines of Hubbard had to... Um, not go again. It's it's all about a, it's all about a framing, right? And so Hubbard spent the last final years of his life researching OT materials, researching the bridge, and so he removed himself. See, Hubbard always has to be the one in the driver's seat. He's the one. He's the causative agent of all of this stuff. So Hubbard can't ever be positioned in any narrative as running away, hiding. Uh, you know, you know, trying to evade the authorities. It's always he's the hero. He's the he's the one who uh, they were chasing, or they were trying to find, or they were trying to stop him, or they were trying to suppress the discovery of OT material and research, and you know, you know, I mean that kind of thing. If they even get into it that much at all, most Scientologists these days don't even really care. They just want to get up the bridge, and um, and they don't really care how they go about doing it. So I don't know. I, I, what do you think? Is that a that a decent answer? <laughs> uh, sometimes I think I ramble a little bit, but um, okay. Let's keep going here. It's great, by the way, that you guys are putting my name in the comments where you have a question. Um, please keep doing that because that is easier for me to notice. Um, <laughs> Okay. Um, Guru Roar asks, I heard Hubbard made a whole bunch of movies that are in the can and now shelved by David Miscavige. They sound absolutely perfect for a great B-movie night. Have you seen them? Uh, yeah, I saw all the films that Hubbard produced or created, at least that were that were given out to the public or staff. And they were one for one for one awful. I mean really bad like laughingly bad the 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 costuming was was 
an attempt to try to create an evergreen costume, like some sort of semi-faux futuristic look. But this was in 1979, 1980. They were making these things. So they looked very like... Like they looked like the like like a low grade version of the uniforms from Star Trek the original motion picture, like except not as good, you know. Like by the kind they kind of looked like that. Um, it, 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 and the acting was atrocious. The direction was horrible. I mean, it was they were just the worst produced things. They were embarrassing, and. And yet they were trying to, you know, we sort of put up with it or or sort of went with it because. Um, this is what we had. This was from L. Ron Hubbard, and we were trying to pay attention to the technical details he was trying to communicate to us in the films. So, uh, yeah, we did. I did. I did see some of those. They were called technical training films, by the way. They, were, they weren't put together for entertainment purposes. They were put together in order to show us principles of Dianetics and Scientology and how to use them in an auditing session. That was what the purpose of those most of those films were. There were also some public films, some public promotional or dissemination films to attract interest in Scientology, and they were even worse. <laughs> and they were bad. Uh, there was one called Man the Unfathomable, and they actually toured this film. Uh, they went around the country showing it to places, uh, universities, colleges, you know, meetup groups, etc. Uh, embarrassingly bad. I mean, just awful. Um, okay, let's see here. Uh, Robert Roberts asks, what is the Funko Pop you most want to buy and why is it Admiral Thrawn finally about to join the on-screen Star Wars universe? Um that's funny. I uh, my favorite Funko Pops actually my little Iron Man, but I want to get the um, I haven't I just haven't gotten it yet. But I want to get the uh, the Mike Rinder bobblehead. <laughs> I gotta get myself one of those. Um, anyway, which one do I want? I don't know that I would want Admiral Thrawn. Not 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 a not a hot ticket item for me. Um, huh. I don't know. I know where New Zealand is. I'm not sure where the rest of America thinks about that. Um, oh, Stu Bonham asks, What, if anything, does the Sea Org do for its members as rewards for jobs well done? Pizza parties, movie nights, dinner out. Those were the most common rewards we would get. Sometimes um, time off, you know, day off, something like that. But that was very, very, very rare, especially you know, when I joined the Sea Org in 95, it was a looser, less disciplined outfit than it was um, a couple years later when things really started. They started uh, putting the thumb screws on all of us and they started tightening up restrictions and there were less rewards and a lot more punishments. Um, this was, I think, a reflection of Miscavige's stress level because this was when Lisa McPherson was going down. We didn't really even know anything about it. Uh, you know, we'd heard a little bit about some woman um, who had tragically died or had some, you know, some issue out at Flag, but we didn't hear any of the details or hear anything about it. So we never even connected that incident with the additional, you know, the added uh, stressors that suddenly were hitting our our plate, you know, in, in PAC in Los Angeles. Um, so, 
anyway, just things got progressively worse. And like, for example, there was a Sea Org Day. Every year we have an anniversary celebration of the Sea Org in September. And that went from a full day and night off celebration party, you know, a couple thousand dollars invested in a venue and and f- and really nice food for us and, a, and an entertainment venue and dancing and, and alcohol. I mean, that was my first year Sea Org experience. It was, you know, for the Sea Org, it was pretty cool. Next year, not so great. Year after that, just the day off, not the night. Next year, just the day, not the night. The year after that, half day. Year after that, half day. Year after that, maybe a full day if you guys work really hard. Oh, you didn't work hard enough, half day. Right? Then a year after that, we might not have Sea Org Day at all if you guys don't get your stats up. Right? Then we had no Sea Org Day or or a quarter day. So it just gradually, year by year by year, got worse and worse and worse. And... um. And the punishments became harsher and harsher with, you know, getting a stern talking to or being yelled at to, you know, the scrubbing the pots and and scrubbing the toilets with the toothbrushes and worse and worse and worse, you know, going and cleaning up Rat's Alley and crap like that. So, um, but rewards were, you know, like I said, it was, uh, it was little stuff, easy stuff. Okay. Uh, What part of Australia is New Zealand in? (laughs) You guys are hilarious uh okay let's see here um the gay theist asks are you chris shelton are you familiar with uh the joke where l ron hubbard tested on tomatoes then found scientology to test on other vegetables is there any truth to this no Uh, i'm very well aware of that joke that's a haha very funny um in, ni- in 1960, 5960, L. Ron Hubbard set up shop at St. Hill Manor in East Grinstead in England, uh, Sussex, England. And while there, he decided that he needed to start establishing some positive PR and presence for himself as this, as this American in settling in the UK. And he wanted to be taken seriously. Hubbard was very, very serious about getting taken seriously. And, you know, the the guy was such an obvious con artist and lying scumbag that nobody really wanted to take him very seriously. So what he tried is in, uh, I think it was 59 or 60, he, uh, there was an article that was published. He had a media reporter come out and, um, and do this article about how he was deeply, intensively involved in the research to discover the nature of life itself. You know, is plant life and animal life any different from human life? Is the, is, the, is the quality or nature of life itself different? And Hubbard concluded that it wasn't, and that plants and animals are just as alive and just as feeling and as, as aware and emotive as we are. And he used this e-meter to prove it, right? By sticking the electrodes into a tomato and asking it questions. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and the needle moves, so therefore it must be, right? I mean, it's like, okay. So that was what that uh, tomato thing was actually really all about. And uh, it was panned. Nothing came of it. Everybody just kind of laughed and moved on. As as far as I know, there was nothing really serious that ever came out of that in terms of Hubbard getting taken seriously. But that didn't stop him from trying. Uh, all right. Um 
Let's see here. Jeff Scott asks, do people in Scientology believe in the uh, vaccination for COVID or are they all anti-vexes? I mean, anti-vaxxers. Anti-vex. Do people in the Sea Org get vaccinated? Uh, Yes, I am quite sure that Scientologists and Sea Org members do get vaccinated. Um, Scientology has gets to have its cake and eat it too when it comes to conspiracy theories around covid and vaccinations uh miscavige will insist uh probably not wholly differently from how i imagine rupert murdoch runs fox news because i think this is true too right that everybody at fox is vaccinated everybody you know all the sea org guys probably got vaccinated now i'm guessing here okay i can't say for sure 100 percent as to fox news guys and i can't say 100 percent certainty with scientologists or sea org members but miscavige doesn't want the trouble and bother of sea org members dying on his properties right and covid kills people and there aren't enough Sea Org members to just waste 40, you know, a, a two, three, four percent of them because of stupid working conditions and anti-vax conspiracy theories. So they're going to insist that people take care of themselves. And remember, Scientology are the, the Sea Org are kind of crazy about cleaning and, and they're really, really into it. So because uh, Hubbard was Hubbard was all about clean quarters, clean staff, you know, that kind of thing. So. And it's also kind of pretty much covered in their way to happiness, moral code and stuff that you would, you know, uh, take precautions and and take care of yourself. So odds are, I will will sit here and comfortably say that the vast majority of the Sea Org and probably the the dogma or the push from the church is to the public Scientologists. They can't dictate to public Scientologists, you must get your vaccine. But they're probably encouraging them to do so, right? Because it is the safe thing to do. And and at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, but there are, there are definitely a chunk of Scientologists who are anti-vax and are and are heavily in the conspiracy theory of of being anti-vax. And they're not gonna get vaccinated. And if certain Sea Org members buy into that as well, and some do, they might not get vaccinated as well. Right. And unless it becomes dictated to them that they have to, which could be the case. I'd actually really like to know some inside skinny on this. I'd be I'd be curious to see how they're really running it out. But my guess is that they are forcing everybody to get vaccinated. Okay, Uh, let's see what else we got here. Fun so far. Hope you guys are enjoying this. (laughs) Uh, let's see here. Oh, yes. Timberwolf asks, are all of LRH's writings really put on brass pages and hidden somewhere? No, they're on titanium plates and hidden somewhere. (laughs) Uh, There really are. Uh, extensive multi-million dollar projects ongoing right this minute to dig tunnels into the ground in, um, it's already been done in a place called Tremencia, New Mexico, and um, in uh, Creston, California, I believe they have a, a site, or at least there's a Hubbard property there. I think there's another place outside of Creston or about an hour away from there. Tony Ortega actually has documented 
where these properties are on his underground bunker site with maps and even drone uh, shots and stuff. So, um, so you can go see it there. But yes, these these really do exist. The church really has spent millions and millions of dollars to preserve all of L. Ron Hubbard's written and spoken works in a medium that will survive a nuclear holocaust. That is really true. And uh, and that all of that is being paid for with tax-exempt dollars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick Bravo asked me if I've seen Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. I got, I think I've passed some kind of threshold, guys, because it had no appeal to me whatsoever. I watched the trailer and I was like, Eh, I've seen this movie 20 times already, you know, I, I, it, show me something new. I, 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 you know, I, 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 and I know I get that every generation and every, you know, new, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not the demographic for that show. So I get why I might not necessarily be super excited about it. Had I, you know, 30 years ago, that would have been my thing, right? That would have been my jam. Even 10 years ago, I probably would have been more interested in it. But now I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me. I still love what I love. I still, I'm still a Star Wars fanatic, uh, Star Trek fanatic. I love this stuff. But the new stuff, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Something's, something's changing in me, and I'm not sure what it is. Uh, so, no, have not seen Tomorrow War. Okay, let's see here. Um, oh, Robert Roberts. Okay, so I think I addressed a little bit of the government hygiene tips question there, Robert. But you ask here, will Scientology follow them or believe COVID is all PTSness? Can you explain why Miscavige says COVID is bull bait? Yeah, Miscavige says COVID is bull bait because it's an open-ended way of complaining about it and saying without acknowledging its validity or invalidity. It's a way of saying COVID is stirring up the world and making things more difficult for us. COVID is more barriers and nonsense getting in our way of clearing the planet, right? Uh, war, famine, illiteracy, drugs, these are all planetary bull bait, right? You're trying to get something done and, you know, spanners and wrenches and monkeys and everything is being thrown in your path. That's bull bait. And it doesn't necessarily say that it's legit or that it's illegit. It's just a problem for you. And that's what he means by that. Um, and it's that kind of language, right? It's, it's, it's subtle, but it, it, it lets you get away with a lot of stuff, right? Uh, okay, let's see here. Um, Chris, have you or one of the others taken on the meter and how it really works, floating needle? <laughs> George Cole. Uh, no, not yet. Soon enough. Uh, let's see. Um, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Waste of titanium. Uh, oh, Swena, I did not see your question. Let me see. Scoop back up here. See if I can find it. I'm just kind of flipping through these as quickly as I can, so I'm sorry if I miss one. And if I do, just put it in the comments again. And like I said, put my name down there like Robert is doing because I'll be able to see it faster and easier. You know, I don't see your question here at all, Swena, so um, if you could 
repeat it, that would be awesome. And then I will answer you. Um, there's a third Ghostbusters movie released in 2016. No, there's not. There is no third Ghostbusters movie. Uh, okay, let's see here. Oh, okay. Jews Briel asks, Chris, good day. Is the government using the same tactics as Scientology brainwashing the people into vaccination? Um, no, I don't think that that is the case. Um, brainwashing implies that you're doing something nefarious in order to get something over on somebody using devious or manipulative or overtly destructive means. And getting vaccinated is not a destructive thing to do. It's the safe, healthy, right thing to do. So I don't think brainwashing people into getting vaccinated is exactly the right phraseology any more than you could say schools brainwash kids into getting uh, into reading or learning arithmetic. I mean, you could call it that, but it's not really a proper use of the word. And it implies, you know, sort of this nefariousness, this evilness uh, to the activity that just doesn't exist. Getting vaccinated is a public health and safety issue that involves your safety and mine. And uh, I happen to uh, believe in vaccines, quote unquote, right? I happen to think science matters and that health, public safety and health matter. And vaccinations are something that has enabled mankind to beat nature. Where nature is trying to kill us, we're actually more powerful because of things like vaccinations. So there are very interesting consequences and arguments that result from that. Uh, but one of those arguments or one of those positions shouldn't be don't get vaccinated or vaccinations are something that are evil. I really just can't get on board with that view. And, I, and I've and i seen tons and tons of anti-vax literature and, and the conspiracy theories and the, and the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that anti-vaxxers try to place and, and put on the science of vaccination. And it is, it, it doesn't really pan out with the facts. Um, you know, are, are all vaccinations 100% effective across the boards? No, but they don't claim to be either. You know, and I'm not an expert when it comes to medical science, so I have to go with authorities. And the authorities that I go to on this uh, sound like they know what they're talking about and have evidence and facts and reason uh, to back up their claims. And every time I've gone down the anti-vax rabbit hole, every time, and I've done it a number of times, I go and I investigate the claims. I read the papers. I, you know, I have to clear these, you know, clear up what these $20,000 words are, you know, trying to study the science of this stuff. And every time I have found the claims made by anti-vaxxers to be hyperbolic, you know, in other words, exaggerated beyond all proportion or just flat out wrong, just straight up lies or, you know, fear mongering. And that's what I've found every time. So what am I supposed to say? You know, I haven't found a credible anti-vax argument yet. It's not to say it doesn't exist, but I haven't found it. And I stopped looking, of course, quite a while ago because after going down that rabbit hole about five times, you go, this is a little bit like Alex Jones. How many times do I have to disprove your stupid claims before I just stop listening to you? And that's kind of my position on anti-vax at this point. Yeah, there are some legit 
issues and problems with certain vaccines under certain contexts. But to take that issue and then say, well, vaccinations are dangerous. Vaccinations shouldn't be done. We should be very, very careful. They're just experimental, blah, blah, blah. It's just fear-mongering nonsense, you know, and I don't go for that. So that's my soapbox today on vaccination. Uh, okay, let's see where we go here. Uh, Kelly Copter's YouTube channel on Scientology. Am I familiar? No, not by that name. I might have seen her, but I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Okay, Swena76, does anyone here know, is Scientology alive and well, or is it getting smaller? Swena, as best as we know, as best as we can tell from our outside perspective, it's getting smaller. Uh, people are leaving in larger numbers than they are entering, as far as we know. But Scientology is not transparent with its numbers, so we can't really know for sure. Um, but all the reports, all the information coming from within the world from people who leave Scientology and talk to us are telling us that it is a, it, it's just getting smaller and smaller. Okay. Um, hey, Steve. Good to see you here this morning. All right. Um, yeah, wasting away quickly. Okay, good. Oh, okay. Good question. Okay. Guru Roar asks, hey, Chris, how does a mission or org justify their stats when they make no money in a day? How do they send a report in on Thursday when they have pulled in next to no money? Well, they have to report the goose eggs. You will get false reports. You will get false statistics. That happens often. But um, if that they always end up getting caught. You know, always. I mean, we never had any long-term. I think the longest I ever saw a series of false reports on statistics go on before it got caught was about, oh, gosh. I don't know. Actually, one guy, one guy got away with it for about six or eight months. Um, it was not on income statistics, though. Income statistics are a lot harder to false report because you got to come up with the money. With uh, student points or well-done auditing hours or some of the other statistics they report, it's a lot easier to pad them or make them up. Um, but if, you know, if they're not making money, they're not making money, and they got to report goose eggs, right, and income the zeros. And then management goes nuts. If that were to occur on a one-week basis, that there was just no income for an org, well, they would certainly hear about it. They would be like, what the hell, right? And there would be... A number of tools, there are administrative tools, debugs, um, cramming, there's, you know, there's corrective actions that can be taken on staff members that are not just whips and bludgeons and clubs, right? They do try to apply Scientology to the person to fix them. Maybe there's something on their job they don't understand, or maybe something happened that week. There are, Hubbard does acknowledge that there are acts of God that will happen from time to time. You can't have any control over, you know, if some truck on a freeway, you know, uh, has an accident and doesn't deliver the goods you need, or the person who was going to, you know, pay the big money that week didn't come through with the loan, or it didn't get approved, or they didn't, they couldn't get it on a credit card, or, you know, logistical issues kept coming to play all the time that, that impede or slow down income. Uh, you know, money-making cycles, right? Uh, 
So there's a certain degree of understanding that that kind of thing happens, but zero income, of course, is completely unacceptable under under any circumstances. So they're going to get corrected first, and if that doesn't work and they continue coming in with no income or low income, then they're going to get replaced. Basically, they're going to get um, you know they're going to get the thumb screws and the pressure and the push, and then somebody's going to try to figure out, okay, this guy's just not getting the job done. Let's get rid of him. Kind of basically how it goes. Um, okay, cool. All right. Swena, I hope that answered your question. Um, oh, yes. Stu Bonham asks, are you a Galaxy Quest fan? Looking forward to the possible TV series. Okay, I am a huge Galaxy Quest fan. Huge. And it's one of my favorite movies, actually. I thought it, I thought it nailed it across the boards it was it was homage it was funny it was it was pitch perfect loved galaxy quest i didn't know they were going to be doing a tv series i would love to see them uh i would love to see that effort i think that would be fun i was um i'll just throw this out there that i was disappointed by the orville i thought the orville was going to be galaxy quest and it's not i don't know what the hell the orville is but i i don't really enjoy it so I hope that Galaxy Quest as a TV series would be what I what I would kind of hope it would be. Uh, okay, Andy Von Buse, Chris Shelton, is there much or any contact you and other activists with people who are still in the Sea Org that you knew? In other words, they refuse to disconnect. No, there is none. Zero, zilch, nada, none. I am not in contact with anybody who's in the Sea Org and certainly not with anybody who used to be considered my friend. They all disconnected from me and they think I am scum of the earth. And I can't really tell you how sad that still makes me feel because they were people I knew for a very long time. And uh, longer than I've been out, I knew them. You know, like I've, like I knew them for a long time. Really good friends, really good people, but they think I am now a complete asshole. And they're probably right, but not for the reasons they think. <laughs> okay. So, no, no contact. Um, okay. Let's see here. Uh, let's see. I never understood bull bait in those terms before. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, don't forget to hit that like button, folks. All right. Uh, ha, ha, Robert. Yeah. Which will come out first, OT9 or the E-meter video? I will go out on the limb and I will say the E-meter video will come out before OT9. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. Um, any news from Aaron? Well, we did a podcast about a month or two ago. Uh, you can check that out. Aaron's going to be running for city council. That's exciting out in uh, Clearwater. Okay, let's see here. Yep, yep, saw your question there, Swena, so we're good. Um, thank you for that, Gaytheist, good for reinforcing your question. Um, yeah, oh, Nick, of course. I will, yes, Nick, let me acknowledge your comment on here. You say people should consult their doctor. Some people may simply not be able to get the vax due to health reasons. I acknowledge that, I definitely do. I'm not a zealot on this. I do get that there are people who have valid and legit uh, medical reasons to not get vaccinated. And if your doctor is telling you that and your doctor is not some whack, then I'm down with that. I'm okay with that, right? Because I know that there are circumstances where that's, where that's the case. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. Because they say it's killing people. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yes, you are welcome, Garor, uh, for your comment. Thank you. Um, okay. Keep going down here. All right. Da, 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 da. Oh, Nick Bravo. Stargate or Babylon 5 and why? Um, neither one in terms of the TV series. I loved the movie Stargate. Loved it. Really loved it. I thought it was original and fun. And the special effects at the time that it came out were amazing. Um, you know, those helmets for I mean, it was just, it was awesome. Uh, the TV series didn't impress me. Not one bit. I never really got into it. I think I tried to watch uh, half an episode one time. and was just like, this is awful. I, you know, I got, I don't know. I, I my, my standards are probably a little too high, uh, but I just wasn't down. And Babylon 5, I, I couldn't stop laughing at the special effects. I heard that there were pretty good stories. I, I, you know, I never really tried to watch it, though. I really hope I'm not losing all of you guys on this, by the way, because I know some people really like those shows. And I'm not even uh, saying that you're wrong for doing so. I am saying I personally just couldn't really get into them. I, I wish I I wish I knew why. I really don't. I just couldn't, you know, dialogue, corny plotting. Just not my thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Gurror, good question. What are the chances David Miscavige gets subpoenaed in the Danny Masterson case? Um, that is a really good question. I probably not real high. Okay, those attorneys that Scientology is hiring or working, you know, working over on the Danny Masterson case are are there probably one of their top priorities is getting tasked with not with making sure David Miscavige doesn't get pulled into that case in any way and it would be a real battle to connect those dots between Danny Masterson and the celebrity the president's office of celebrity center and David Miscavige that would be some there would be some work there to connect those dots in the legal sense cuz because um, Miscavige, remember, his entire existence is about maintaining plausible deniability between him and everything that, that goes on below him. And he's got a, an array of people layered between him and the, all the lower levels of Scientology who will fall on their sword for him so that he doesn't have to be made responsible for the things that he is responsible for. And um, they will absolutely do that. The head of OSA will fall on her sword or his sword. Um, you know, all the people between him and Masterson would do that before Miscavige would be endangered. So I'm not really holding out any hope that Miscavige is going to end up in the courtroom unless there is some bombshell piece of evidence that they actually can use to connect him directly to the Masterson case. But Man, good luck with that one. I, I, you know, and I don't say that. I, I say that more bitterly than than you know any other way. I mean, I want it. I want that to happen, but I just know how difficult the the legal machinations are, and um, it's just not easy to do. And especially, like I said, because Miscavige ha pays very, very knowledgeable people a lot of money to protect him. He's probably spent more money in legal fees than I have made in my entire life. Uh, you know, just 
just to keep himself protected. So, you know, um, that's that's kind of the situation there. Um, okay. Oh, thank you, Timberwolf. Appreciate that. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Let's move on up the line. Okay. Oh, Fanatic High Desert Railroader. That's a great name. <laughs> Asks me. Any chance you're going to do Leah's podcast to talk? I, I did. I was on Leah's podcast twice. <laughs> and there were two parts. Check it out. I, I, am, I was on there about uh, two or three months ago. Um, oh, great question. John Davies asks, my wife, Blue, wants to ask, what's the best book you have, to, you have read on your researching cults coercive control journey? Okay, that's a good question. What's the best book I have read? I would say the most informative. Um, hmm. I see. I I think of a couple. I think of Combating Cult Mind Control by Steve Hassan. I think of um, Cults in Our Midst by Singer and Lalich, and I think of. Um, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism by Robert J. Lifton. And it's and it's a little bit difficult for me to choose one over the other of those books. Although if I really, really had to, if you really put the thumbscrews on me, I would go with Lifton. Because his is the most his was the seminal work. It was the, the original work on this. It was the most evidence studied, you know, researched book. And um and it's and it and it most heavily influences those other two books, the cults in our midst and combating cult mind control. I mean, Hassan does good work. He put a good model together. He explains it well, but his work really rests on Lifton's work, and and honestly, so does Lalich's. Yanya is amazing. She's really really good. She's a sociologist, whereas uh, Hassan is a psychologist, and. Uh, um, so she has a little bit of a different perspective, more sociological. But um, but Lifton, I think, is the go-to book. I, I really don't know how you could claim to understand coercive control, thought reform, brainwashing, any of it, if you haven't read Lifton. It, it really does kind of come down to that. So psychology, um, what is it? The... Um, uh, I don't want to... Yeah, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. That's the name of the book. Psycho uh, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism by Robert J. Lifton. Um, I just don't think you're ever going to understand the subject without reading that book. Okay. Uh, probably took too long on that question, but that's I, I wanted to give you guys my thoughts on that. Okay, let's see here. Um, maybe. If if Miscavige is suddenly Miscavige lost everything, would he commit suicide? Maybe. Uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> Babylon Five had the greatest end of season cliffhanger in the seventy six quintillion years of human history. Uh, cool, awesome. I you know I really should check it out. I am mean, speaking a little. I am talking a little bit out my ass on on Babylon Five because I I never really have checked it out that thoroughly. Um. Yeah, Miscavige is a real winner. He's uh he's just not a good guy. All right, let's see here. Um. Oh yeah, Midsummer. 
Yeah, I got to do that movie. I haven't done that one yet. I actually plan on doing I'm going to do a whole series after I get my degree done on cults and entertainment. And I want to do a review of Midsommar. I got to I got to see that. I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting to do that to, to see it. Uh, okay. Alex, thank you for that super chat. How worried are you about Scientology's chances to expand in Asia and Africa, where it's not well known, and critical discourse about cults and critical thinking is sometimes not up to our standards? That's a great question. Um, and I am a little worried about Scientology expanding in Asia. It's already doing so in Taiwan and the Philippines, I think, um, in Australia, northern Australia. So, yeah, there are there is some Scientology happening there and um there are not as i understand it um a lot of critics or ex-members in that world who are speaking out in that language right because i don't you know speak those languages and so uh and my work i don't know and leah's and those i don't know if our work is translated in those areas so that's been brought up to me before as as a problem and it is i you know, I'm only willing to go so far with that because I'm busy enough as it is just getting the content I'm doing produ produced. I don't I, I don't have translators and, and that kind of thing. Um, I'm not I'm not implying that you're you're saying that at all in your question here. I'm just commenting on this topic that it's something I've been aware of for years and it's been a problem. Um, and as far as the, you know, discourse about cults and critical thinking in that area of the world, I just, it's an area I don't know much about. So I don't know how much to talk about or what to say on that because um, I'm kind of ignorant of it, right? But I am concerned about, um, about it. I might not be as concerned now as I would have been 10 or 20 years ago because at least all the material that we need to debunk Scientology does exist and it exists in major media formats. So it's on Netflix, you know, it's on HBO. So they have HBO and Netflix translated for them in those regions, as far as I know. So you have the possibility, at least, that they can get hold of at least Leah's show and Going Clear. And that's, you know, those are the two most powerful uh, anti Scientology media that have ever been put together. So at least there's that. I don't know. That's about how much I can comment on it. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, but good question. Oh, thank you, Lee, for that super chat. And thank you for saying you wanted to just keep up the good work and greetings from the Netherlands. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. The Gay Theist says here... Um, okay. The Gay Theist asks, I'm thinking about writing a book that involves brainwashing, but want it to be realistic and detailed. Where can I learn detailed information about effective brainwashing techniques? Lifton, the book I just talked about, right? Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism breaks it down very detailed. Um, I think if you read that and then if you read um, Combating Cult Mind Control and the Bite Model, that's, that's useful. Um, and cults in our midst. I think those three books would be, would be very, very good for you. But thought reform in the psychology of totalism, essential, absolutely essential. Okay. Um, let us continue here. Oh, and don't bother with the Manchurian candidate, by the way, because it doesn't work like that <laughs> at all. 
Uh, okay. Oh, what an interesting question. Uh, Armandol. I don't even know how to say that. Armand. I'm not sure how to say that name, but question, Chris, if you could interview your 20 year old self on the show right now, what would you ask? Wow. Let me think about that for a second. I would drill down on myself about what evidence I actually have to back up the claims that I'm making. I would destroy myself with evidence, with critical thinking. Um, I would ask questions about, okay, you know, tell me what it is about Scientology that appeals to you or what is it about Scientology you think is going to change the world? Well, we're doing this and this and this. Okay. So can you point me to any evidence of that? Is there any science behind that? And I would keep asking that question. Drill, 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 down, down, down. Into the details, into the, yes, but why does that work that way? How exactly? What evidence do you have for that working? Right? I would nail myself with those kind of questions. I think that would work because I did not have evidence for what I was saying. I had authority. I had, I had um, L. Ron Hubbard's word. I had a lot of people telling me this is how it is. This is what's true, right? But I didn't have any real evidence for what I believed. And I just took it on faith. I took it on their word. And I put a lot of faith in the people that I trusted, my parents especially, uh, to start with, and then the Scientology officials and the trained auditors and supervisors that I met and people that I, I was told to respect. I was told were highly trained, were, were very knowledgeable people. So I believed them. And yet, if somebody had sat me down and said, okay, so show me some evidence, show me some proof of what you're saying. Let's see it. You know, I would have folded because I didn't have it. But nobody ever really asked me those questions when I was a Scientologist because I just slotted into the authority hierarchy. And I just plugged into that. And then I gained my own authority and reputation by reading Hubbard's works and having people believe me. You know what I mean? But nobody ever really challenged me. I think that's how I would have approached myself. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. I didn't know Africa was inundated with prosperity gospel. That's a damn shame. Uh, okay. Oh, interesting question, Zad. Uh, have the Navy-like Sea Org uniforms fallen out of favor in the Sea Org? Yeah, yeah, they have. I think that they were, I think they put people off and I think they created this, I think culturally, uh, Miscavige or somebody looked at that and went, yeah, this isn't really, this isn't really doing it. I think in the 60s or 70s, Hubbard had this idea that it would grant authority, symbolism, excuse me, you know, uniform, a uniform has a lot of authority or symbolism to it. Uh, excuse me, geez. But, um, now they're not really into that. Now it makes them look odd. It makes them look different and weird, and you can laugh at them and stuff, right? Why are you wearing that uniform? 
so they have uh, different uniforms <laughs> that don't look so Navy-like. Uh, also, I think that stolen valor thing is something they're responding to now because L. Ron Hubbard has a lot of it. And uh, the church has made ridiculously exaggerated and nonsensical claims about Hubbard's war record and military record that they can't really back up. And, uh, and I think they're trying to, you know, pull away from that. Okay, um, let's see. Continue on here. Da, 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 da. Oh, how do you spell Lifton? It's L-I-F-T-O-N. Robert J. Lifton. Okay, good. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, fair enough. Um, huh. Swena76 asks me, Chris, how do you reconstruct a belief system after leaving Scientology? Very, very carefully. Um, very critically. You, you take your time. You learn that. Uh, I, have, I, I learned that, you know, taking people's word, taking things on faith, taking something because somebody is an authority is not in and of itself a very good idea that you should dig in a little bit more that you that if you have a question if something seems red flaggy if something seems weird or off or odd pay attention to that voice listen to it investigate it it's not always right you might be wrong that little voice might be telling you something that's not actually legit right but it never hurts to investigate more thoroughly anyway you can only benefit from that. So, I mean, unless there's some time crunch or some like situation that demands your answer right now. And when it comes to adopting a belief set or faith, there's no hurry. Take your time. You know, uh, I have. I've been really taking my time with this and uh, be willing to. The other thing that I would uh, that I would give as as a uh, answer to how do I reconstruct a belief system after leaving Scientology is. Always, another thing I've adopted is always, always, always be willing to change your mind if you found out that you're wrong, right? There is no belief so valuable, so important, so true that, you know, you can't reject it if you find out that it's actually not true or that there's something wrong with it. Be willing to say, I was wrong. Those are hard words to say. Uh, not always easy for me, but just be willing to say them as a principle and that'll get you a long way in being willing to change your mind about things and that's that's been my go-to in adopting new beliefs is I'll, I'll adopt them but i'll adopt them tentatively and there is no belief i have that is not mutable that's not changeable not not any of them i'm willing to re-examine or relook at anything if I am presented with evidence or reasons to do so. Um, that doesn't mean, like I said, you know, when I talked about anti-vaxxers or Alex Jones or something, you know, you go down these rabbit holes so many times trying to give these people the benefit of the doubt that after a while you don't give them the benefit of the doubt anymore because it's like they, the boy who cried wolf. They're just wrong over and over and over again. And so you do come to a place where you can make up your mind about a thing and you go, okay, I just, I just don't think these guys know what they're talking about. 
But even with that, it's not like the door is slammed shut. If somebody can present me an anti-vax uh, argument that actually looks like it makes sense and is and is based on, you know, evidence that I can see and understand, bring it. You know, I'm willing to look at it. But it's going to have to be a pretty goddamn good argument at this point. You know, same with Alex Jones and his conspiracy nonsense. I've been down all those rabbit holes. And they never pan out, you know, so so I don't really I'm not really in a frame of mind where I want to give Alex Jones the benefit of the doubt, you know. But when it comes to the vast array of knowledge and experience and things to know and learn out there, I'm wide open. I'm like, bring it, you know, show it to me. Let me see it. And this is why you'll see me change positions on things. And I, I think that's a I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, let us continue. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, good. All right, Gaytheus asks, Chris Shelton, do you think you could convince 20-year-old you to stop believing in Scientology, or do you think young you would double down or something like that? No, I could handle my 20-year-old self. At this point, I could flip myself. Uh, I could deconvert myself from Scientology. And how I answered the question earlier is how I would do it. Uh, just keep going, right? I would just destroy myself with evidence until I realized I was didn't really know what I was talking about, you know, because that still works today. I mean, you can still hit me with that, right? If there's something I've got some point on and you keep hitting me with that question and I don't have evidence for it, uh, you know, hey, okay, I, you know, I don't, I, I can't keep saying that. Okay, so uh, yeah, I think I could do that. Uh, yeah, mega churches in Africa. Damn, that is a shame. I did not know that was happening. Um, yeah, exactly. All right, let us continue going down the line here. Talking about Africa now. Um, oh, Preacher1138, thank you very much for that super chat. Great. Uh, Preacher1138 says, most independent Scientologists I have met are very nice and willing to answer my questions. Could that be because they are out of the Church of Scientology? Um, yes, yes, they are definitely more open than Scientologists are, um, almost uniformly. Some of them aren't. I've engaged with some Scientologists, independent Scientologists who are complete asshats. But, um, but then again, I was kind of probably being in a bit of an asshat to them, too. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I'm really being honest, I have engaged both uh, antagonistically and non-antagonistically with independent Scientologists over the years. Some of uh, some of those engagements I'm okay with, and some of them I really cringe at myself. I really wish I hadn't done that. But um, but yeah, most of them are really nice, willing to answer questions. Sure, Scientologists are for the most part pretty nice and willing to answer your questions too. Until you start asking questions that you shouldn't be asking or you dig too deep, right? So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let us continue on here. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> yeah, getting spoons to stick to us. Okay. Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad you got out of that uh, TM crap, Stu. TM, Transcendental Meditation, run. Don't walk away from that. 
you know, if you want to meditate, go for it, right? But um, but avoid TM. Transcendental meditation is a cult. And at its highest levels, it's really destructive stuff. Really. I mean, it's really bad. So, um, yeah, so don't even don't even put yourself in that position. Okay. Ha! Armanda asks a question here. Perhaps a dumb question, but would you rather be blind or deaf? I've actually thought about that question. I think all of us have in, at some point in time. And um, I'm going to say deaf. I'm pretty visual. I'm a pretty visual guy. I, I, would, I, I would feel very cut off from the world if I could no longer see it. That would, that would suck for me. Um, it would suck to be deaf too. I mean, I, I'm not saying either one of these things are really wonderful positions to be in, but I think I'd, I think I could still, at least I could still be able to read visually and watch. I, yeah, I, I think for me, that's my answer is I, is deaf. Um, yeah, yeah. No, my 20 year old self would not convince me to become a Scientologist again, Liz. <laughs> I see. I've already. I already know everything my twenty-year-old self knows. My twenty-year-old self does not know anything like what I know now. Uh, okay, let's see here. Oh, Gur Roar, good question. What is the most success uh, has any of the Scientology front groups done that actually has helped the world in a positive way? Okay, the the most positive, the most helpful, the most useful. Scientology front group, I believe, is applied scholastics. And that is because they simply teach people how to read. Um, the illiteracy project, I should say, uh, aspect of applied scholastics. The study text stuff is, is too extreme. The misunderstood words and the clay demos and stuff, mostly harmless, kind of useful. But if you believe that the misunderstood word is the only thing that's stopping you from being able to learn something, you're an idiot. There's a lot more that goes on in education than just misunderstood words. But in terms of actual help to real people, Applied Scholastics has taught a number of people how to read. And that's a valuable skill no matter how you shake it down. And there is, and that's not even Scientology. That's just teaching people how to read. So I am, and then they've had a lot of other mentoring and tutoring programs that they've done um, over the years that have helped kids directly, right? So I'll, I'll give them a pass on that. I think that's okay. Um, I, again, though, it, you know, there's a lot more effective programs and there's a lot more money being spent in other places that are teaching kids to read that do a hell of a lot better job of it than Scientology ever did. But if I have to focus on only Scientology and what it's done, I think that's probably along the lines of the most positive work they've done. That's that's real change and really helpful to kids. Okay. Um, and they have also, by the way, done very little of it. But it is work that they, that they have done. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Lessons to learn. Yeah, don't know that I would go that far. Yeah. Okay. David Brown asks, hi, Chris. I was wondering how you think independence 
reconcile LRH's insistence that learning about OT3 prematurely will kill them with the fact they're open about things like Scientology space opera. I have seen a few different interpretations of this from, you know, OT3 as metaphor to, yeah, it's true, but you can't really believe everything Hubbard said. But, you know, as far as the um, the OT3 thing, yeah, he was exaggerating to keep people away from it. Or, yeah, he said that, but, you know, come on. I, I mean, they, ha- they tend to, to have a little bit more realistic view of it from what I have seen. But I, it's not like I've done a broad survey of independent Scientologists on this point. So I can't say really a whole lot more than that. Um, let's see here. Oh, Stu asks, uh, are you now waiting for the results of your master's course? No, I'm still working on it, actually. I have um, an essay I need to get done by this Friday and another one I need to get done by the 9th of, uh, of the next month. And then I have my uh, master's thesis that I still need to write. So I'm still going hot and heavy, and um, I'm expecting that I will get everything done by January is the, is the targeted time to finish. I extended it. I extended the program a little bit in order to give me a little bit more, more, more time to get this done, but I am on crunch time right now. So in fact, after I finish this video today, I will be working on my uh, essay. So that's where that stands. Um... Oh, Swena asks about the master movie, the movie The Master. Yeah, I did a whole review on it. It's on my channel. Check it out, Swena. There's a whole video about it. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Battlefield Earth. Okay. Let's see where we go here. Oh, wow. We're well over an hour, aren't we? All right. I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer a couple more questions and we're going to wrap up. Uh, um, Armanda, another question. Why all ex-Scientologists who are content creators, why do they talk so eloquent? Is it just coincidence or there's something from the common experience? <laughs> well, thank you. I didn't, I didn't realize I talked eloquently. Uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that we look up a lot of words <laughs> in Scientology. So we tend to be fairly literate. Sci- that is one thing about Scientologists is they tend to get literate. And, and that's by demand. You have to, in order to read and understand Hubbard's crap. <laughs> it's weird, but it's true. Not sure, uh, not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, ha, on a scale of 1 to 100, how rational do I think I am? The Gaytheist asks. Jesus. I mean, a real answer to that question, how rational do I think I am? One to a hundred? Uh, 51. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say about 51. I, you know, I'm still here. I'm still around. I, I, you know, my rational mind is still operating enough to keep me around, but you know, I, I, yeah, I'll say that. Oh, what kind of sentence do I think Nancy Salzman's going to get? 
I hope a really, really stiff one. I hope they put. I hope Nancy Salzman gets a sentence similar to Ranieri's. I don't know that he will, that she will. But Nancy Salzman is the co-founder, basically, of Nexium and the one who used her uh, background and knowledge in neurolinguistic programming and psychology to help Keith Ranieri create the program of Nexium. She is a horrible, evil person, and she should be locked up and the key thrown away. Uh, that's my take on Nancy Salzman. I hope to never, ever, ever hear her name ever again after she is sentenced. That's what I think of Nancy Salzman. Evil, awful, horrible person. Okay. Uh, so, oh, thank you, I like pie. I'd say, says says I'm at 80. Thank you. Um no, no Scientology bases have been attacked by disgruntled Scientologists that I know of. Although, um, oh, actually, no, there was a hammer thrown at a window of the Church of Scientology of Los Angeles by a man who was a former Scientologist who had some mental health issues and is, as far as I know, getting help. I'm not, I'm, I'm totally percent, hundred percent sure on that one. Okay, so let's go ahead and. Oh, okay, good. I will answer this last question, then we'll wrap it up. David Brown asks, if you don't mind us asking, where do you want to go after your master's? Um, I'm not sure. Just somewhere. I, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer you by quoting David Bowie. I don't know. Um, what, let, me, let me get the exact quote because I love this quote. I've actually got it on my fridge. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise you it won't be boring. <laughs> All I can say about this master's program is it has elevated my education level and understanding of psychology and coercive control in ways I, I really didn't see coming and in really good ways. And I want to use that knowledge as best I can to try to continue helping people through this platform and by getting on other platforms through podcasts and interviews and radio and whatever else I can do, as well as writing some books. That's my plan right now. If I can somehow, if other opportunities present themselves where I can do more, I'll probably jump on those opportunities. But for now, that's what I see happening. And... Um, and I want to use, you know, if I can use some letters after my name to get a little bit more credibility so that people will take me a little bit more seriously so that I can get this messaging out to more people, that's really what it's all about for me right now. Um, and that's what I can say about my master's program. Okay, so uh, thank you with all of that, guys. You're awesome. And uh, this hour flew by. Uh, so I guess we will start moving toward wrapping up. So uh, good deal. If, uh, if there is nothing else, I want to thank you guys for the super chats. And I want to ask you, oh, a couple things real fast. Sorry, real fast is if you did not yet do the survey that I posted a few weeks ago, please do so. I posted a video with a link to a survey that I need you guys to fill out. Um, that survey is still active. So please do check that out. Um, it's on my channel. I don't have the link to it here, but do please do that survey if you haven't done it. And otherwise, I will see you guys on next Friday. All right. Bye-bye.